0: I finally finished reading Steven Pinker's book, Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. I started it more than skeptical of its main thesis. It's 800 pages long, so I'm sure I'm going to oversimplify and not do it justice, but I recommend it so that you can get his full message. So get the full message from him. I'll do my best to cover it here. He says that we are living in the least violent time in history and that that lack of violence was due to enlightenment values of classical liberalism. Again, I'm oversimplifying. Read the book to get the full picture. I started reading it sure, confident that he had missed some important issue or discounted some risk of nuclear war or pandemic. I would find some flaw in his analysis. On the contrary, the more that I read, the more compelling I found his case. I won't recapitulate the whole thing, but I now agree with his thesis, if I'm not oversimplifying, that we live in the least violent time and that it's due to classical liberalism or these ideas. Now, what caused liberalism is another question. He spent time looking for exogenous causes. After all, Humans were human when we were more violent, and now that we're less violent, we're just as human. Did something change outside of us? One main cause he found was the development of printing. Printing spread ideas. Some cultures adopted it and others didn't, so observing their different evolutions suggested its value. I agree printing was a major cause. In this episode of this podcast that I'm recording right now, I want to suggest a major potential point that he barely touched on, but that, one, I believe is a greater cause or at least worth considering more, and two, if we miss this cause... We miss other effects, especially if this cause disappears. That is to say, if what caused the decrease in violence, if that disappears, will the violence then reappear? More importantly, this cause may be in effect today, and changing today, if a critical pillar of support for this decline in violence goes away, we could lose everything we've gained and more. For context, I'm going to read about 10 sentences here from the Smithsonian Magazine and The Nation. Okay, quoting them. On August 24th, 1967... Abby Hoffman and a group of friends invaded the heart of American capitalism, the New York Stock Exchange, on Wall Street. They threw money from the visitors' gallery onto the floor, and the brokers and traders there leapt into the air to grab the dollar bills floating down. Trading was interrupted briefly. News coverage was massive. Before entering the Stock Exchange gallery, Hoffman had passed out handfuls of dollar bills to each of the protesters. Once in the gallery above the trading floor, the protesters threw the dollars over to the stock traders. Participant Bruce Dances recalled, quoting now within the quote, at first people on the floor were stunned. They didn't know what was happening. They looked up, and when they saw money was being thrown, they started to cheer, and there was a big scramble for the dollars, end quote, but staying within the quote of the magazines. The protesters exited the stock exchange and were immediately beset by reporters who wanted to know who they were and what they'd done. Okay, so that's the quoting from Smithsonian Magazine and The Nation about this guy, Abby Hoffman. You may have heard of him. He protested these things, and one of their protests, as I just described, was they went to the stock exchange and threw money out, cash, so that it rained down from above, kind of drifting down slowly as paper will do. People whose cash flows dwarfed mere dollars risked their jobs to scramble for these dollars falling down from the sky or from the gallery. With that historical example in mind, imagine this fictional scene. A battle where suddenly manna fell from heaven. By manna, I mean something that satisfies all you wants, like manna from the Bible. So you in the battle, as you see this manna coming down, you can kill the guy next to you as you were planning to do, or you can gather manna without violence and get something that's very satisfying. If it happens that everyone starts gathering manna, once everyone starts gathering manna, who wants to fight and risk being killed when you can simply gather more manna? You don't need anything else. Now imagine that you learn not only will tomorrow bring more manna, but so will the next year, Next decade, next generation, next century, and as far as anyone can foresee. Would you expect people to fight less if all this manna was coming down and you knew it would be coming forever? I would. Would they not devote themselves to more liberal pursuits in the traditional sense of the word, that is culture, arts, learning, and trade? I believe that humans with an unending supply of manna would trace the path that Steven Pinker's book described. Well, the manna started appearing over 500 years ago. Well, actually, before written history, People knew of coal, of fossil fuels, what we now call fossil fuels, but our ancestors really started learning its utility, though not its potential danger, centuries before the Industrial Revolution. That foundation, well before the Industrial Revolution, people finding out that fossil fuels could be useful for things, to burn, to lubricate, things like that, and to light, that foundation, among others, eventually enabled the Industrial Revolution to happen, but it started kicking in well before the Industrial Revolution, even though that's when I tend to think of when coal started really kicking in and later oil. Most people attribute the gains of the Industrial Revolution to human ingenuity in creating machines, economic systems, political systems, and so on. They built machines to cross oceans and continents, manufacture things to scrape the sky, and so on, enabling people to work in teams as large as nations. Sure, humans were ingenious, I agree, but imagine a locomotive or steamboat with this great engine, but without coal. Ingenuity doesn't boil water to make steam. It tells you how you could, but we didn't create that coal. We found it. Besides increased liberal pursuits, would you not, in this world with all this manna coming forever, or, or in, to be more specific, with all the fossil fuels, with no end in sight for them, and no sense of what danger they could, that we now see today of global warming and all the poisons in the oceans and things like that, would you not want to have more kids? Especially if your neighbors did. After all, your need to work for your children to bequeath them land just dropped precipitously. Plus, if everyone you knew had just learned of two continents... North America and South America, isn't that like manna from heaven in the form of real estate? Of course, independent of fossil fuel manna and real estate manna, that is to say, these gifts that we didn't ask for, that we just got, new continents, all this extra fossil fuels, plenty of other advances in science and humanities contributed to the explosion of technology that led to the Industrial Revolution and its material abundance. But once James Watt's steam engine and Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations kicked in, they were tied together in a cycle driven by that manna, that is to say, fossil fuels. As long as you take that manna for granted, you might assign the progress to human ingenuity, but we needed fossil fuels too. Again, without them, we would have had no steamships, no railroads, no steam powered factories, no coal mines. But it doesn't stop there. There would have been no substitute for slavery because oil and fossil fuels took over a lot of the labor that humans provided before that. There would have been no artificial fertilizer and therefore no green revolution. So no jump from two, three billion people to 7.9 billion and, and so on. There would have been no solar panels, no nuclear. There would have been just windmills, water wheels, sailboats, and things that get sunlight and direct human labor, wood we could burn, animal labor. And there would have remained, as there had been in ancient times, the ability to amass armies, navies, to build pyramids, and to build empires. Now, thinking forward to today, even if we discover that the mana will run out, that is, we have limited fossil fuels, a system based on it with enough momentum will sustain itself long after we'd want to stop using it. That's our world today. We can't stop ourselves. I would say that we're addicted to their results. That is, we're addicts. Because we now know that the limit to this fossil fuel mana is only partly running out of it. It's not just that we're going to run out of it, that there's a finite amount. Equally, the global danger is that it poisons our air, land, and water when we burn it and wildlife, for that matter, that we depend on, like bees. Burning fossil fuels is, very simply put, it is lowering Earth's ability to sustain life. We've filled that space with plastic and toxic chemicals to the point where Earth simply can't support as much life as it used to. Back to Steven Pinker. He searched for an exogenous that is an outside cause to the changes that he described. As I mentioned, he found printing, the printing press, as one candidate. Europe's adoption of printing led to its liberalization, while Islam's rejection of it led to its stagnation. Again, I'm oversimplifying, so read the book for the full picture there. And as I mentioned, I started his book expecting to find flaws. I thought he must not realize how much less violent we are today than he thinks or how less stable our peace is today compared to his imagination. But I found him completely persuasive. I agree that we're less violent than ever, and I agree with the causes that he suggests. And I'm not a historian, so I can only go on broad trends. The timing seems to work that as fossil fuels started kicking in on brightening human futures well before the Industrial Revolution, so around the right times and places, it seems, of where the fossil fuels were tamed or started being used in the places where enlightenment seemed to happen. If I'm wrong on that, please point it out. I'm not sure. As well as it didn't happen in the wrong times and places, so it wasn't kicking in in places where enlightenment things didn't happen. So I'm not saying that fossil fuels were the only cause, but I expect them to be a major one that I don't see his book treat or very little. And I don't mean to take away from all the achievements that he described. They're tremendous, but they depend in part on discovering something that we can take no credit for producing and whose deadly side effects, combined with the laws of thermodynamics they help discover, they force us to choose between stopping accepting the mana or allowing it to kill us. First, we didn't know the side effects. I don't blame anyone. Back then, who could have guessed that we could warm the globe? But now, as we know, these effects are undeniable and incalculably deadly on the scale of billions of people. I believe that we can retain the advances that fossil fuels helped us discover and that we can achieve without them, but the transition requires time. Had we started transitioning generations ago with a smaller population and less addiction, we could take time. If we start today and we have not in earnest, already 9 million people died in 2019 just from breathing air, a number on par with the Holocaust and the Atlantic slave trade, except annual and increasing. So there's no avoiding destruction. But if we reduce fossil fuel use with everything we've got, well, we'll still face economic shocks. A lot of economists worry about them. But I understand from having read J.B. McKinnon, a past guest on this podcast, his book The Day the World Stopped Shopping, in that book he discussed the findings of an economist that said that government management of the economies within historical norms could keep those shocks and their effects within historical boundaries of the economy, which is to say we have to manage what's going on, but we can keep from losing billions of lives. To clarify, by reducing fossil fuels, I don't just mean adding more renewable fuels. Humans throughout history have met new manna with new growth. That is to say, when we have a source of energy and we found a new one, we use the old one and the new one. So yes, I agree on producing more energy through renewables, but also to shut down what burns fossil fuels first. Coal plants, airplane engines, container ships, car engines, artificial fertilizer, and more. That is to say, to leave the oil and fossil fuels in the ground or risk billions of people dying. My point of this recording is to speak to one person, Steven Pinker, in, I believe, the perspective of his thesis, that I agree with his view on the better angels of our nature, but I believe those angels were fed on fossil fuels, beyond what he recognized. And I don't have any self-interest to promote here. I'm motivated as much by the wonder I felt at his masterful book. It's almost 15 years since I read Blank Slate and loved that book. I've seen him speak in person and found it riveting. I saw him once in my neighborhood, actually, not far from where I live, and said hi to him. He's very recognizable. And I believe that if he considers this one element, the contribution of fossil fuels to Enlightenment values and all of what came to that, the lowering of the violence that he described, that he will either see a flaw in my perspective or not. If he does, I would love to be relieved of my mistaken view. If not, I believe he will feel compelled to consider it more and may even reach the point that I have that it is one of the most important pursuits that anyone could work on, perhaps the most important one to work on today. How do we get off of fossil fuels? Because for one thing, The violence will come back. For another thing, Earth will continue to be unable to sustain the level of life that it does today. I think many people don't consider the effect of fossil fuels and what would happen when they're gone because, well, what can anyone do? Most people figure only governments and corporations can make a difference. But believing one's first attempt at a solution won't work is no proof that no solution exists. Just because we throw up our hands once doesn't mean we can't solve this business. I found many solutions that do work and would love to pick up from this point with Stephen or anyone who's listening to this, by the way. To bring all this together, the question remains, how much of our decreasing violence resulted from blind luck of our finding fossil fuels? We didn't create them, we just found them and used them. Independent of contributions of fossil fuels to the past, how much of the present lack of violence depends on fossil fuels and our disregard of that pollution? If we stop using fossil fuels and the future looks less abundant than the assumptions that we had before, well, do we lose the peace that we have? if we believe renewables and nuclear will replace them, how much does our current piece depend on fossil fuels? A big piece of our looking forward to a non-zero-sum outcome depends on having more and more of this stuff. If we have less and less of this stuff, will we start seeing the future as negative sum rather than positive sum? In which case, do we start fighting over things? Or alternatively, what can we do to stop fighting over things if that becomes our view, that next year we'll have less energy to work with than this year for years and years and years to come. I think it's interesting and important to ask, what if some things we can't substitute, like container ships or flying across oceans and artificial fertilizers? What if pollution from fossil fuels becomes so great that it kills more and more and more people? These are problems that, well, just in this context, how essential is that to our decreasing violence? Are we sitting on a four-legged stool about to lose one, which might mildly affect our sustainability, or what if we're on a three-legged stool and we're about to lose one, or two, or all three? You know, This is not a matter of opinion. In principle, this can be quantified. An illustration of how I think about it is if our decline in violence depended on several different inputs, say there were four, are we on a four-legged stool? If we lose one, well, a three-legged stool can still work. It's less stable, but still can work. But what if we were on a three-legged stool in the first place and we lost a leg, or two legs, or all three legs? How much does our present stability, peace, and lack of violence depend on fossil fuels?